Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. The two people, weekday Laura and weekend Laura, they just didn't mesh. And my mm. values completely went in separate ways. And it was this conflict. I was going to work in high heels, a black dress and red lipstick. And then at the weekend, I was rugged and not wearing any makeup and not combing my hair and stuff. It was this, this divide of values. And it sounds like one began to increasingly feed you more meaningfully than the other. Totally. I felt more human, more alive, more aligned with my inner values, doing those kind of things than I was going to work painting people's fingernails. Today, I'm talking to Laura Try, a business founder who left it all behind to become an extreme adventurer. Having owned a beauty salon for nine years, Laura made the decision, aged 29, that her values no longer served her and she wanted something different, very different. The hunger for experiences and challenge meant entering multi-day adventure races, running a marathon across the Great Wall of China, spending eight days on an uninhabited desert island, and attempting to be the fastest woman's boat rowing 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean. In our conversation, Laura discusses what she means by type two fun, how you get around different personalities in a boat race, and what she learned from trying to ignite a bow drill fire. Laura, thank you so much for coming on to Better Under Pressure. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you. Thank you so much. So, Laura, what intrigued me about talking to you is the fact that you talk about being an adventurer. You've also done some extraordinary things, particularly on water. And I thought you would probably have some view on pressure, <laughs> how to deal with it, but also just your relationship with it because your journey has been an interesting one. So maybe we should start with that first question is, how would you describe your relationship with Prussia? It's an interesting question. And there's some irony there because I put myself in these challenging situations by doing my adventures. But I think the reality is, is that I, in an everyday life scenario, I'm probably not, not that good at pressure. And so therefore, that's probably why I do do these things, because it helps me understand myself and take lessons from those adventures to then bring back into my everyday life where I can go, ah, OK, I need a bit of a reassessment here. Let's reflect back to those experiences that I've had in the past in my adventures and how can I manage myself better in this moment? That's already really interesting. And I'm I'm intrigued to know how you decided to do that. What, what was it that, uh, that made you think, well, I need to stretch that pressure muscle so that I can learn from it in everyday life? When did you first get that insight? I've always been curious to try new things ever since I was a kid. I had kind of seen that activity, saw someone doing that, and I would think, 
I really want to give that a go. And it was only when I started doing these adventures and exploring, pushing the boundaries that I realised that it was giving me lessons that I could probably never get in everyday life. And then to bring, it was then that realisation of, wow, I can get all of this knowledge that I probably would never get, that then it keeps me returning back to these moments where I'm in uncomfortable situations and under pressure. So Mm. it's almost a bit addictive whereby everyday life has got its challenges, but I can never really find the nuggets. And it's when I go away and everything else is stripped back that then I get this kind of this clarity. Mm. And what would you say has been, you've probably got many lessons, but if I had to ask you what, you know, when, when you have stretched that muscle and gone out, when you first started, so, I mean, it'd be interesting to know that, you know, the variety of adventures you've done and which different lessons you've taken and how you apply it. But if there was one just at the beginning of this conversation that you thought, actually, that's one of the first moments where I thought I can apply that back in my life. Yeah. Which one would you go for? I would say it would be to probably just start the thing. So, for example, when I was asked to row across the Atlantic Ocean, I wasn't a rower. In fact, I didn't even like rowing and I still don't like rowing. And I didn't know anything about the sea and I didn't know how to raise £120,000. I didn't. let alone to row across the Atlantic Ocean. But for me to decide I was going to do it and then almost work it out as I went along. Mm. So rather than thinking, I can't do this, can't do this, how am I going to do that? And overcomplicating it and talking myself out of it, I just, step one, do I want to do it? Yes. Step two, agree to do it. Step three was, right, let's work out how we're going to do this. So I I suppose that would be the first thing. If someone's thinking about doing something, trying something big or small, the first two questions, do I want to do it? And I've got to agree agree to it. Yeah. And how did you know that you even wanted to do something like that? Because didn't you start as a, didn't you have your own, didn't you own your own business? Yeah, I had a beauty salon, yeah. So, Laura, how on earth do you, what was it that compelled you to suddenly put all of that behind you and and do something like, or feel attracted to going to do something like row on the sea, which even now you say wouldn't be your first choice? Like, I'm so intrigued as to what is it that gives us these moments where we just go, right, that's it, I'm going to go and do that. Yeah, it was um, a bit of a cascade of events, actually, which even now when I explain it back, it's still still surprises me, still blows my mind of how these things happen. I had my beauty salon since the age of 24. It was something that I'd wanted to do ever since I was a young girl, makeup, beauty products and all of that kind of stuff. And I had that beauty salon for nine years, but probably about, well, uh, so I opened that at 24 and at the age of 29, the business was doing well and I had a lot of belongings. Lots of stuff, 
I liked buying designer clothes and spending a lot of money on stuff. And then I think it was that moment where I was reaching 30, where by any birthday that ends in a zero, it tends to have a bit of a reflective moment on us. And I thought all of these things that I own at the time when I buy them, oh, it feels great. But in the long term, they weren't making me happy. It was just this ongoing cycle of me buying more stuff. And so I thought what I want to do rather than just buying stuff, I, I kind of want to experience life a bit more. Mm. And I'd always loved watching TV programs like Bear Grylls, The Island. I loved watching a YouTube show about ultra marathon runners. Mm. And there was something about these people doing these challenges that always was so appealing to me. But at that time, I just joined a gym and did some step aerobics and, you know, boxer size and stuff like that. And I thought, well, how am I going to ever do just a portion of what these people do that I see on TV? I thought, well, probably the first thing to do would be to start running because I thought, well, running, you know, outdoors, maybe I could do a marathon. So I bought a pair of running trainers, which probably was one of the last things, expensive things that I bought. This was kind of the the end of that buying and spending era. Mm. And it was this start of this experience era. So these trainers kind of represented quite a lot. And I always considered myself as quite a fit individual. I was 29 years old. I went to the gym every day. But as soon as I started running, I was probably running for about 400 metres. And I got to the end of the road and I was just, I was pooped. Legs, Mm. I just thought, how are my legs not working? My lungs were on fire. And there was a bridge at the end of the road. I got to the bridge, it was 0.7 miles away, and um, and I had to walk home. I, like, I couldn't even run around the block. And I thought, okay, well, yeah, at some point I'm going to need to run to the bridge and run home. Like, that was my goal. And I think it took two weeks for me to be able to run to the bridge and run home, and it yeah. was a mile and a half. You know, I could run a mile and a half, and I, I thought, well, that's interesting because I had a sheet of paper at home and I'd written down the amount of time that it had taken me to leave the house, run to the bridge and get back. And each day I was getting a bit faster. Mm. And so although I could only run a mile and a half, I thought, oh, interesting, but I'm getting, two weeks ago I couldn't run a mile and a half and also I'm getting faster. So in my mind I'm thinking, all right, let's carry on doing this. And over the course of weeks months years I then ran my first park run which was five kilometers I then ran a 10 kilometer race in the local park thought interesting you know it was really hard but wow I never thought that I could run 10 kilometers you know I couldn't Mm. even run to the end of the road that turned into a half marathon into a marathon blimey And it was all just compounding on top of each other. And I was starting to do these adventure races where I would do a 24-hour adventure race. Then I did a 36-hour adventure race. And it just seemed that these opportunities would be put in front of me. And I'd see them. I'd go, right, that's next. And they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. 
So now, although I wasn't buying all of this stuff, bigger, 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 I was now doing all of this stuff, bigger, bigger, bigger. Mm. And eventually these adventure races led to me rowing around Great Britain. Uh, you know, this is why I, when I say it, I just think, you know, really? But this was over a course of, say, um, six to eight years. Running and you not you weren't running your business at this time, or you were running your business at this time. In between all of this, I'd actually closed my business because right. I realised, in amongst all of this, that the values of what I used to have hmm. about looking a certain way and the beauty industry, and then at the weekend I was with a backpack hiking up a mountain, covered in mud, hungry, hmm. tired. You know, it's raining. I was so through. The two people, weekday Laura and weekend Laura, they just didn't mesh. And my mm. values completely went in separate ways. And that it was this conflict. I was going to work in high heels, a black dress and red lipstick. And then at the weekend, I was kind of rugged and not wearing any makeup and not combing my hair and stuff. Mm. And it, it was this, this divide of values. Yeah. And it sounds like one fed you, began to increasingly feed you more meaningfully than the other. Totally. I felt more human, more alive, more aligned with my inner values doing those kind of things than I was going to work painting people's fingernails. Yeah. I love that. That distinction you make earlier on, you said, I think it went from my, was it shopping or acquiring phase into experience, experiential phase? Yeah. Which now incidentally is my job of trying new things and doing new things. And it was almost like this inner calling that I, that I heard and I needed to follow. Mm-hmm. You heard yeah. it. Yeah, it's um it feels a bit weird to say that sometimes. I think some people will probably understand it and others not. Mm. But it's like being delivered a message mm-hmm. from somewhere or someone. Mm-hmm. It's probably delivered by us about what we want to do, but it also might be delivered by a greater being whereby. I kept hearing it and I, I'm the kind of person that needs to, I hear it and I just can't not hear it anymore. Yeah. I think that's so interesting, Laura, because I, you know, I, there's a lot of people that we work with, you know, who are maybe in the heart or see, very senior at corporations. And sometimes as you work with them, they, they saw there's something emerging that's, that's different from what they're doing or it's, it seems separate, but potentially more meaningful than what they're doing. And I'm so intrigued just talking to you about how do you listen to that sort of, that urge, that that desire to sort of think there's something I need to follow here and I need to, and, and what, what I'm getting already from the conversation is your fascination with experimentation. Like you didn't know what the result was. You didn't know exactly how it was going to play out these 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 big goals that you or these big adventures that you set yourself you know other people might say right okay I'm going to be doing I'm going to be rowing around Great Britain so I've got to understand what I mean I'm sure there was a lot of preparation but I'm also hearing there was a lot of trust 
in the experience or your understanding of what the experience was going to give you? Yeah. I have a fascination with the idea that one thing leads to another, Hmm. that if we, I'm not saying that someone should say yes to every opportunity, but if the yes aligns with that inner calling and those inner values, the yes tends to cascade into an unbelievable amount of opportunities in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what kind of blows my mind because if 10 years ago or 12, probably 12 years ago, if someone would have listed out the things that I have done, I just wouldn't have believed them because I couldn't even run around the block. Mm-hmm. But it's just to the bridge. And it, it, it really does blow my mind. And do you think it is, I mean, like, you know, the, the investigation for me in this podcast is how do you relate to the energy of pressure in such a way that it allows you to expand and become more alive and feel even more of yourself in the time that we have, as opposed to it becoming debilitating or becoming reducing um, or just a force for shrinkage rather than a force for, you know, um, expansion. Yeah. Um, what do, I mean, does this ever stop? Do you now feel like you've got a relationship with this sort of expansion muscle of yours that is just never satisfied? Or, you know, what, what, how would you describe it now? Because it doesn't feel in any way that it's debilitating to you, yet it does get a sense of like it becomes bigger and it's, it's never sated, if that, if that makes yes. sense. I totally get it. And a few years ago, I actually realised that this shopaholic aspect that was in me before probably then retransformed into something, for example, it's quite hard to explain. For example, I just kept doing bigger and better challenges. Mm-hmm. And so where does it end, you know? Yeah. And after the Atlantic, I actually had... Um, plan to row across the Pacific because the Pacific is harder than the Atlantic but Mm. for one reason or another the team that I was part of just a few logistics weren't working out and then Covid happened Mm -hmm. and that's when I realised I've done exactly the same thing here with my challenges Mm. now I'm not buying more designer clothes and bigger and better computers I'm now looking for bigger and better challenges and I thought okay well that's probably not a healthy relationship that I had I was very grateful with the the succession of the challenges because it taught me so much but it also made me realize it can't keep being bigger and bigger and bigger Mm. so now rather than just going and doing wild challenges that I'm away for say six weeks I'll do shorter ones two or three days sometimes even less just Mm. to keep that muscle as you described it to Mm. keep it exercised because I find that if I'm in an everyday environment for too long it's very easy for me to become stagnant Mm -hmm. and forget and forget all of these messages and all Mm. of these lessons that I've learned in the past yes which is why I try and do something maybe every six 
six months or learn a new skill or do something new because it exercises a different part of my brain. Yeah, yeah. So if we were going to go to one of your tougher challenges, um, what was the worst moment for you in terms of pressure or, or like, can you do it feeling? I recently did a desert island survival challenge. Okay. I was living on an uninhabited desert island for eight days. And I'm, I'm currently editing the video on it. And I said in the, in the video, I don't remember, but watched it back. I said that this is harder than rowing across the Atlantic, mm. which I thought, wow, you know, eight days on a tropical island sounds like heaven compared to a six-week row across an ocean where I was rowing in two-hour shifts, two hours on, two hours off. But thinking back, it was very, very hard. And I, at the time, I wondered to myself, like, why am I doing this? Because it wasn't that enjoyable. Mm. But having returned home, it makes me realise that doing that unenjoyable stuff, I think it's called type two fun, where it's not enjoyable at the time, but then looking back, you go, oh, yeah, that was quite fun, actually. It makes me realise, because I crumbled, actually on that particular challenge, um, it made me realise how I can improve myself, better myself and manage myself better in those challenging conditions. Oh, just let's go into that a minute, Laura. So you yeah. crumbled. So what, what was it? What happened that, that took you to the edge of that? And what did you do to recover? We were learning skills like lighting a fire, but we wasn't doing it with any modern day equipment we were basically rubbing two sticks together which is a skill that I'd always wanted to learn the bow drill fire and uh, something that I thought about for so long like how cool to be able to start a fire with all the materials that mother nature can provide mm. and the most challenging thing was is seeing the instructor do it within about 60 seconds and I always knew that it wasn't going to be that quick for me I thought one or two hours, but over the course of three days, it took me a total of about 10 hours. I mean, it was crushing. And each time I was close, I'd lose it. I was close, I'd lose it. But I think one of the biggest mistakes I made, I was looking around at the pe other people on the trip. Mm. That person started a fire. That person started a fire. There was cheering. Yay, they did it. And mm. I was still going. I was still going. And each time I heard someone else's success, although it shouldn't have bothered me, it really, it really bothered me. And I started negative talking myself. That's better than, they're better than me. And, and I'm not very good and I'm not going to be able to do it. And I got caught in this vortex of negative chat and comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I in the end I was able to do it. But looking back, I now realise, and I, you know, I got so frustrated. I was so embarrassed with myself because I got so frustrated. Which is, you know, the irony of being on a podcast like this talking about pressure. Because if you'd have seen me, I mean, I was terrible. But at the same time, it it's I like looking back at those moments and reflecting of. Okay, well, why was I like it? How can I try and not be like that in the future? Yeah. And where's the lesson? Yeah. Rather than just looking back on it in embarrassment. 
yeah. and disgrace. I'm thinking, okay, there's there's a lesson there. And basically it was focus on me and what I was doing rather than focusing on other people, mm-hmm. which is much like real life, I suppose. Social media, other people getting promoted, all, all these things where we look at other people and go, oh, they've got this, and I'm and, and it turns into this negative self-talk, whereas I should have just nurtured me and what I was doing and been kind to myself. And have you done that more intentionally since when you've noticed yourself? Like, you know, you said at the beginning of this conversation that actually the pressure of everyday life still is there, right? You still experience it, and which is why you do these adventures to sort of stretch that muscle and apply it back. So have you actively and intentionally done something different as a result of that experience on the desert island? Yeah, always. I I think that's the reason that I make my videos about my adventures as well, because it, selfishly it helps me reinforce my lessons. Mm. So even if I didn't make a video about it, to journal about it or write a blog or something, it's not even for someone else to watch or to read. It's for me to go, here are the lessons, and I might watch it back or read it back and go, oh, I remember. Yeah. Because I suppose it's like anything, like going to the gym, we can't just go once and lift some weight, get strong. We need to keep going to keep the strength. And I always need to keep reminding myself of the lessons that I take from my adventures, whether that be reading or watching, watching it back. Yeah. After listening to Laura describe her experience learning the Bowdrill fire on her recent adventure, I'm sitting here asking myself if I would have been able to persevere for 10 whole hours to get that fire ignited. I think I probably would have done, although I'm very aware I'm saying that from the comfort of my own home. But I think I would have precisely because others were doing it. And like Laura, I would have got mad with myself because others were doing it. However, I'm equally sure that I would have given up if those others hadn't been around me, showing me that it could be done. And I think that's the rub. How can we use the success of others to spur us on rather than, as Laura says, disappearing into our own vortex of negative chat and that pressure of negative comparison? When we choose negative chat and place ourselves under scrutiny, there is a massive cost to the joy available to us when we have an opportunity to expand, if we choose to, of course. I always think of Bruce Lee when it comes to negative self-talk, when he said, don't talk negatively about yourself, even as a joke. Your body doesn't know the difference and words are energy and cast spells. That's why it's called spelling. I have to say, I'm intrigued and slightly in awe of Laura's commitment to learn something new every six months. The challenge that arises whenever we start something new is that we dive straight into a conscious incompetence. It's supposed to be clunky, but that's the perfect invitation to the unhelpful chatter in our head. You know, that internal chatter that unhelpfully seduces us to look at the others doing it better and then to chastise ourselves. We have to become smart at resisting that invitation, noticing the body signs first. I know I can instantly feel tight in my jaw, for example, and I'm actively working on recognizing these physical signs so that I can quickly interrupt the negative language that unconsciously follows because it's more practiced. I really love Laura's mantra of, okay, there's a lesson there, what is it? It seems like this practice isn't inoculating her against all the uncomfortable feelings that go with the pressure of learning something new, but instead inviting her to accept the feelings and create a new meaning for them. 
Through learning new things, she's training herself to focus on the lessons and progress, building her expansion muscle. By committing to making the YouTube videos, Laura's created a way for her to keep learning and reinforcing the lessons in a way that's fun too. Others might journal or blog, but these are all ways to get curious. Another example of how to deliberately become a scientist on your own behavior. In fact, creating these insights for every podcast conversation that I have is my own way of learning from the conversation and extracting from myself just a few points that I want to reinforce and pass forward to you. They challenge my thinking and hopefully yours too. I'm really struck with the idea of just going to your own for a second, that you've got these, you've got four people in a very limited space for what, yeah. six to eight weeks, was it? How much? We were rowing for 43 days, yeah, two hours on and two hours off, four people on a eight-foot boat. I mean, that's extraordinary, really. I mean, just the sense of that lack of, like, the intensity of the space, let alone the intensity of what it is that you were trying to do. But how, I'm really intrigued, Laura, to understand the power of other people in keeping you going. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about how you did that as a four during those, those days? Yeah. I didn't not really know the three other teammates that well before getting on the boat. Okay. Um, but the one thing that we had in our mind was that we wanted to win the female race. Mm -hmm. So that was the common goal between us. Interestingly, there were some personality differences on the boat as well, which in normal everyday life would have been a huge problem. But we needed to keep the boat moving forward every day and we wanted to do it as fast as possible. That was the only thing. I mean, we were obsessed. <laughs> and every, all the other problems that might have happened, they were there, but they seemed to dis they seemed to just disappear because each morning we'd have a little meeting, 10 a.m., it would be about 15 minutes of what's the progress we made yesterday? What did we do well? And what can we change to make the boat go faster? We would make tiny, tiny little changes, little adjustments and assessments to just keep on top of forward progress just to get mm. us to as quick as possible. So there's a couple of things in there that I think are really interesting is that sense of being really clear about what the shared goal is the shared intent to be yeah. the fastest female boat yeah like, like there's no arguing about that that's what you're all after that's yes. what I'm hearing and I love that because I think sometimes we just get trapped into into our differences maybe as a team or you know or as even as a family when actually we can connect to what really matters to all of us then yeah. it can lift you through those moments can't it brilliantly which is what I'm hearing there and the other thing is that constant um, regular moment of what have we done well? What could, how can we make it even better? What sort yeah. of lead, these little tiny things, can you give, give me an example of what a tiny, you know, incremental shift might have looked like on that boat for you? Yeah. For example, we would do a shift change every two hours um, and then get two hours rest. Sometimes the shift change would take 90 seconds to a minute. But having done it before, we knew that we could do a shift change in less than 20 seconds. 
Mm. So we were doing 12 shift changes a day times two because there was four of us. So it's 24 mm-hmm. shift changes a day over the, if it was, say it was a minute each day longer than it should be, that would be 24 minutes wasted in a 24-hour period of doing a shift change. That's wow. a huge, that's a huge amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. All just from, you know, oh, my shoelaces aren't done up properly or yeah. let me just get my water bottle. Water bottle and shoelaces should have been got at the start before the shift change. Yeah. You know, really tiny, incremental. Uh, another example would be shifting the weight of the boat. If we had more weight in the, in the forward part of the boat, it would move us along faster. So sometimes if we didn't do our housework right and there might be some water over there and a bit mm. of something over there and so right, all the all the way to the front. It could be 0.01 knots faster, but over the course of six weeks, that means arriving in Antigua 16 hours earlier, which yeah. is yeah, you know, mind-blowing over yeah. a long period of time. It kind of makes me appreciate those microscopic gains that are then compounded over. Yeah days, weeks, months, years. Yeah. And when you talk to leaders about this stuff, Laura, how do they apply that lesson? Are there examples about how they, because to me it sounds like, A, not only a depleting amount of time, but also depleting amount of energy. It's a bit like when you keep forgetting to get everything upstairs and you're going up and down the stairs the whole time because you haven't been you haven't left the room with the I mean I'm just that's a very sort of simple example but it's sort of what it it comes to mind and you know people in organizations you know there's such an energy depletion for so many of us with the sort of a, amount of distraction and noise and everything mm-hmm. when you talk about that sort of lesson which is very specific to you know a boat what do people take from that and how do they apply it in your experience there would be three things First of all, what's the common goal between the department or the team? Mm. What's everyone striving towards? Also, just regular check-ins, whether it be individually regularly checking in with that common goal or as a group. Here's a reminder of the common goal. Are we doing it in the most efficient way possible? And then also just making sure what can we do to make the boat go faster yeah is there anything in this process where we can take a shift change from two minutes down to 20 seconds yeah and just strip strip everything back and keep it simple and aligned to that to the one goal yeah yeah and and personally I'm really struck with that moment on the desert island when you're just watching everyone else light fire quicker than you, right? And I I could feel, I mean, we've all done it, haven't we? That sort of, somebody used the word comparisonitis, you know, when you're just like constantly looking at other people and how that depletes your own performance when you're doing that. Um, What do you think is one of the key things that you now do to get yourself back into um, forward-focused you know, enlivening energy from all of your adventures. How do you do that? How do you get yourself back on track? I think the thing that me learning the Bojo Fire 
the 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 main thing that that taught me because in um there was 10 of us there and I think maybe six of us achieved the Bodrill fire I was the last person to achieve it mm. maybe four didn't you know gave up <sighs> took me about 10 hours mm. I can do it now I went to the woods a few weeks ago made all my own kit started it brilliant what that whole process taught me it gave me confidence and it gave me faith in practicing determination and just a sheer cold-hearted belief that I was going to get it and even when I was getting tired some people would say have a rest it was just I'm just going to keep on doing it because every time I did it I got a little bit closer I suppose it would be like rowing the boat to Antigua yeah. some days it would be really we would make so much progress and other days not much and but I just kept going and going and going and I am very stubborn which I think can sometimes be a negative but on the flip side on that occasion I ended up getting it and it turns out that now I can do it I can now do it yeah. and so that practice even though it took ages and I was so frustrated I definitely could have managed myself better but I did get the goal in the end. Yeah. And I'm hearing like it gives you a huge sense of perspective, these sort of bigger challenges when you come to the little things in or slightly little things in life. And your whole point about if you're not stretching the muscle in a significant way, then the little things can knock us because we have no sort of perspective on it. Yeah. And especially as an adult, I think maybe not many adults learn something new or push themselves as mm. children children are learning something new all the time aren't they mm. but I, mm. I, adults tend to stay in their lane of what they're quite good at yeah and yeah. although I was embarrassed that I did get frustrated it's um I also think it's quite it's very na- it's a natural feeling yeah to get that yeah yeah, and I, I've been, you know, looking at all of the all of the other little experiments that you you do, like the you experimenting with um Andrew Huberman's morning routine, and you know other things that you just like apply it and then you test it, yeah, uh, to work out what actually makes the biggest difference to you. And obviously, I'm intrigued with that because it's sort of at the heart of shed, really, is like how do you get yeah. the best fuel into your for you? What works for you? So you know, just in that experiment, Laura, what 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 is the thing that puts gives you enough fuel for you to be able to keep going in a way that feels positive and energizing? From the Andrew Huberman experiment, yeah. particularly. Yeah. Well, I did it anyway, but it really cemented the fact that not bringing my phone to work, I work from home. And so, of course, it's so easy to bring my mobile phone to work. But and I never did it anyway, but sometimes my phone would sneak upstairs. But doing that <laughs> on its own accord. <laughs> yeah. It just was like, oh, wow, it was on my desk. But he works in an undistracted environment in terms of no emails, no phone, no social media. He drops into his work mm. and focuses on one task at a time. And since doing that practice and just fully focusing on one task... I could do several tasks over the day, but at any one point, I will only be doing one task. Mm. That's been 
the biggest that's had the biggest improvement on me as I think as well because these days it's so easy to get thrown into social media and then of course it's comparison it's like me looking around at everyone else's fires it's like looking at me at someone else's life they're doing better in their job they're working with that brand oh I'm not good enough and so and then also at the same time I'm then not doing my task to move my boat forward or start my fire you know it's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so just focusing in on us and our goal is I mean it's just magic magic in what way because it's only a positive we're making forward progress forward progress then makes us feel more motivated we're then giving ourselves a well done like look at us we're we're moving our boat forward we're focusing on our one thing I feel good pat on the back it's just this upward spiral Mm -hmm. Do you also think, Laura, that it allows you to go deeper with your own work? Oh, is is depth depth part of that? Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Just dropping straight in. It will maybe take about 10 minutes. First 10 minutes are a bit, oh, mind Mm -mm -mm -mm. thinking about this, mind thinking about that, maybe I ought to do this. And then suddenly I'm in a state of flow where I'm not thinking about anything else apart from that one job. But mm. a phone and social media and emails that I someone can't get into flow, someone can't mm. drop into the zone with mm. all of that noise. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. Yeah, and yet when you think about the way a lot of people are working, or, or it, it's it's like you know the tyranny of back to back meetings and like that space for oneself to actually create a deeper level of thinking is compromised so much for most most of us yeah yeah I couldn't agree more and almost to a certain extent this deep work it could almost be related to some form of play Mm. I mean playing in terms of if someone is playing a guitar or musical instrument or cooking or doing a piece of art we don't really we're so in the moment and although work is hard and tricky and uses a lot of brain power, I think there is an element of play in yeah. work in terms of yeah, state. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Knowing our warning signs is so key in choosing how we respond to pressure. I love the idea that Tamsin talks about here, understanding the shape of your pressure pyramid and how easily pressure can turn from a flourishing force, allowing us to grow and learn into a depleting force, draining our capacity to deal with it, quickly taking us from our oh yes zone into our oh hell zone. Becoming acutely aware of the first signs is key because then we can build our personal routines or rituals that help us to avoid tipping over into negative pressure or at least navigating a way out of it. Here are a few ways that Tamsin's mentioned so far that make a difference to how she sets herself up for success. Firstly, having her own space. This is hard for a lot of people I work with at the moment. Creating quiet thinking space, stepping away from interruptions and noise, We may not all have a trailer with a keypad that only a few people know the combination to, but there are ways we can all create space if we choose to. A bench in a park, a walk around the block, 
An empty meeting room. Know what environment makes a difference for you to create your space. Secondly, planning her food. Tamsin's the second person on this podcast who's mentioned the rigour of planning what she eats and when. If you know that eating specific food makes a measurable difference to your energy, why would you compromise that if it's within your control? Thirdly, I love her mantra, enjoy the slumber. This reminds me of what neuroscientist David Rock calls downtime. Never underestimate the value of downtime, which is tricky in a world where we're seduced into being on all the time. Rock describes this downtime as anything non-goal focused, reading, a mundane task like washing the dishes, or just literally sitting down for some time on the couch, zoning out. This allows our minds to wander and reflect, giving our brain time to recover, allowing space for the unconscious connections to come to the surface, to solve complex problems. I remember Anna Rafferty in episode seven, mentioning how she would download her problem into a voice message to herself and then go and bake a cake. And finally, creating a daily positive trigger. In Tamsin's case, changing the passcode on her phone to 2020 to create a daily prompt to boost the motivation to keep training for the Olympics, despite the uncertainty. So many ways to prevent herself from tipping over into unhealthy pressure. And of course, we don't all need that many, but if we can work out what does that for us, it's really valuable to build into a habit so that we can stay better under pressure. And I was really also struck when I, I think I was listening to you talk about the relationship with the ocean, particularly, I think I was hearing you talk about. And a lot of people that I've been speaking to on the podcast, this nature, their association with nature has had a hugely powerful um, impact on their ability to create and move through what might seem pressure. Um, you know, I'm thinking particularly recently, I've spoken to Adam Garfunkel, who, who's, you know, on a mission to really improve our sense of the climate, the sustainability, you know, helping organizations really work positively in that regard. And the big game changer for him has been swimming in open water every morning. You know, like it's, it's, it says he gets out of that and he goes, right, that's it. Bring it on. There's nothing I can't, you know, embrace and work with today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm more and more as I'm having these conversations, feeling like my own relationship with nature is, in, is, is, impa- is impacted. And I, I'm thinking how, how powerful it is just to have those moments. Yeah. Um, and so tell, tell me the power of the ocean for you in relation to pressure. It, when I rode around Great Britain, I think it was 2017, I'd never really done anything like that. Well, I hadn't done anything like that before. I never had think I'd been on a, a ferry going to Denmark to visit Legoland when I was about seven. You know, it was the biggest connection to the sea I'd ever had. Yeah. And it, I was on the boat rowing around Britain for 56 days, but we did get off in between. So it wasn't quite as intense as the Atlantic. But I remember several weeks into that challenge where I was sat on the boat because life was very simple it was just rowing and eating and sleeping it was I just remember this overwhelming sense of connection to the environment and this sounds it 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 does sound odd but at that moment 
because everyone on the boat, we shared this moment all together. I think we were listening to some classical music. And it was just this, I felt like a, a deep magnet, ma- magnetic route through me right mm. into the middle of the earth. It was really quite a spiritual moment. And that, it made me realise how wonderful doing these challenges and stripping everything back was. I had a similar experience on the Atlantic as well because hundreds of miles from land, couldn't see a single thing. It was just just all waves Mm. and just being at the mercy of Mother Nature, good and bad. You know, it was just so invigorating. You know, anything could have happened, good or bad, and I would have just been bring it on because just it just felt so just felt so invigorating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so like, feel it. like you, just um, even now on a daily basis, just trying to get a small connection yeah. on a daily basis, like a little top up every yeah, day. Yeah it's a fantastic way to decompress yeah as well as helping improve sleep yeah yeah mind moving as well because we're walking you know it's just it's so simple yeah there is something about the power of simplicity that we seem to have on a daily basis lost touch with I think yeah and and I I'm, I'm also curious about how you can call on those moments so you've had those what sounds very meaningful and profound moments can you connect to them easily? I mean, I know you can like micro moments when you go out with nature on a day, but can you call that moment of magnetic st- sort of strength, whatever you felt that went through you to the core of you? Can you, do you have a way of connecting to that, fast tracking to that? I'm not sure as strong as, not a, a, not a strong like that. Mm. But I do have the ability to drown out the noise. Because I think the thing about these challenges that I do, because they are quite simple, food, water, sleep, (laughs) and then whatever the activity is, I then try and think, right, well, how can that be? I suppose it's like shed, the shed method. How can everyday life be simple? And just try and get rid of all of the other stuff, you know? Yeah. What do I want to do and what is the goal? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, the bit about I, it's like simple, but it's also putting yourself, like looking after the basics for you so that you can then be who you want to be, cause whatever it is that you would like to cause in the world. But it basically starts with you, you know, just said it basically starts with you it's like look after the basics with you yeah and know what they are it I feel like we're discovered this is great this is great yeah 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 and then how do you say okay this is great for me I'm going to really honor it on a daily basis because if I can honor that for me then I can create real good or impact or whatever it is that you're here for you know I, I feel the connection of that simplest, simple basics to the bigger meaning of whatever yeah. it is that you want to do in your life. And some people that, could consider it selfish to focus on. Excellent. I love that word. But I, I, I don't 
I don't see it as, as selfish. No, um, we, we, we call it properly selfish. Let's all be, you know, be properly selfish. There's something very celebratory about the word selfish, I think. It gets bad press. It does, know? doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. If you're going to be there for others, if you're going to be in service to whatever it is that you're in service to, be it a, a cause, be it, a, be it people, be it an organisation, you have to be properly selfish. Yeah. Turn um, up every day feeling, feeling fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I often... I mean, you must see this a lot, but you go into a room full of people and they're worried about the juice for their phone or, you know, or the charger for this. Is anyone, you know, they're really worried about, we're all worried about our phones running out of juice, but we very rarely, to the same extent, worry about ourselves running out of the juice that we need. Yeah, yeah. What's the next step for you, Laura, in terms of pressure? So you did sort of say, I mean, you didn't use this word, but the addiction to buying has potentially transferred into a slight addiction for pushing the pressure or, yeah. or achieving what where what's next in terms of that relationship with pressure for you well I stopped doing the big sports adventures a few years ago because the sleep deprivation of doing something like that mm. I think would have had a negative effect on my long-term health okay um and I'm huge into my sleep at the minute I, I noticed that my sleep was getting worse as I was getting older and then I was mm. determined to improve it and I managed, I managed to improve it, which was great. How? Then, of course. How? Oh, you can't slide over that. Tell me, what is it that you've it done? It's mainly to do with getting morning morning and evening light to help set circadian rhythm, yeah. being really strict with my bedtimes and sleeping in a cool room and not eating before bed. You know, real simple yeah, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then just... I'm getting great sleep scores. And as a result, then, I'm having fantastic days as a result of great sleep scores. And that's one thing that can sometimes make me seem selfish because if someone will say, oh, Laura, would you do this and uh, in one evening or do you want to come out with us? And if it's past my bedtime, I'll politely decline. What is your bedtime? What's your perfect bedtime? Um, I go to bed at half eight. Wow, Laura. But I get up at five. Um, but then if I did want to really go to the thing, I would. But then I would just need to understand that I wouldn't get to bed early and I'll probably feel a bit tired the next day. But often in the past, I would say, yeah, yeah, I'll come. And I would sacrifice my bedtime and then yeah. think, I really, you know, I'd say yes to something that I didn't really want to be at. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm properly selfish. <laughs> Um, because my I've got my mission and my goal as an individual and that's where I'm focused at at the minute and that requires me to sleep well. So I stopped yeah. doing the challenges because of the sleep deprivation. So now going, going into my 40s, my main focus is my long-term health. Right. So I'll continue doing challenges but, for example, now I'm looking to build more muscle mass mm -hmm. and improve my sleep scores mm -hmm. and do experiments around that. But what I found is that doing these previous challenges that have helped build resilience and discipline, they then have really nicely transferred into me doing a 30-day Andrew Huberman challenge, which on the surface, you know, oh, that's not really a challenge, but to film it every day and then make a video of it, it can be... It can be a challenge, and some days I think I really don't want to film it, but I've got to because it's going to be a yeah. video. 
So that's where my focus is. And I also recently learned to solve a Rubik's Cube. I learned to juggle. I learned mm. to properly touch type at the age of 40 because I always typed with two fingers and now I can type properly. And that was a really that was a really tricky tricky challenge because it's yeah. a challenge in everyday life. You know, yeah. life still goes on and there's me typing at 15 words a minute. So it's yeah. all these little things that I can do to just make myself a bit better. Yeah. And and this is in service to your mission, you said. What what is your mission? It's to spread the message of living a healthy and cheerful life. And that's by making my videos, showing me trying new things in order to live a healthy and cheerful life. Yeah. Yeah. And it it takes a lot of work. And at the minute I'm a I work by myself. So staying focused that my goal is to reach a certain amount of income a certain amount of views on youtube per month i feel as though i'm kind of 25 percent across the atlantic right now and i've still got to carry on rowing mm. uh, and that just means keeping to my shift patterns yeah. making transitions quick within 30 seconds some days are good, some days are bad, some days it rains, some days the wind's in the opposite direction. You know, it's it's all, some days I look at other people having success. I'm like, no, focus on myself. Yeah. So I'm yeah, just yeah. Um, fully, fully in it at the minute. I've got somewhere yeah. where I want to, to be and I'm yeah. just, just, I'm just rowing. Yeah. I really love the fact that you're using that metaphor so fully in terms of how you're living your life now. And the shift patterns is fascinating to me. Um, and it's made me think myself, you know, about what could I gain back from being a little bit more intentional about the way I shift from yeah. one thing to another. Um, interesting. Wow. So, Laura, this leads me to my two final questions, which I ask every guest, which is if there were two things you would pass forward to anyone listening to this podcast who would like to be better under pressure what two things would you offer the listeners today i've got two of my favorite phrases from the atlantic row one is um just get on with it whether it be in a business or personal perspective or any aspect of life if there's something that someone wants or needs to do you just got to get on with it because it's very easy to think of, oh, but what if this? Or, oh, I can't be bothered. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Just get on with it. Tax <laughs> return. Just get on with it. Or I really want to go to the salsa class or maybe I'll start next week. Just get on with it. Just go tomorrow. Yeah. Because there's so much fulfillment in just getting that job done. Yeah, and that comes yeah. from me not wanting to go rowing every two hours. I would just lay there and think, oh, and then I'd just go, just get on with it. Yeah. And then the second one is um, it will pass, mm. knowing that any bad situation will always pass because mm. there's good days and there's bad days. There's days where we look out and the sun's shining and there's other days where we look out and it is just raining and windy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it always passes and... Like in real life, in business or in personal life, 
good days, bad days, but just knowing and having the trust, faith and understanding that the bad days will pass and then the sun will shine again. Yeah. And just on that, yes, so, so interesting and useful and simple. I say that with huge respect how things that are complex will put you you've you've taken them to its core of simplicity to eat to be easeful into it and that it will pass did you say that to each other when you were like you know when someone was having a, day, a bad day or feeling it more profoundly than somebody else how do you lift I mean, it's a slight digression but I'm, it, it's linked with this it will pass how did you use that to help one another there was one particular day that this was used a lot and that was a day where we'd got news from our land support that we was going to encounter a headwind. Usually during the Atlantic crossing, the wind is in one's favour. So it's right. almost like a gentle nudge, but of course we still need to row. But on this particular day, the wind would be blowing in the opposite direction. And we were told that it would last for two or three hours so in an attempt to fight the headwind, instead of having two people rowing, we had three people rowing. That was the maximum, maximum amount of seats on the boat. And after three hours, the wind showed no sign of slowing down. Mm. So we were like, right, we're going to carry on. And there was one person hand steering as well. We were going at 0.5 knots. I mean, we were travelling half a mile every hour with three people rowing i mean talk about demotivating and we rode like that for nine hours because we thought we was only going to do it for three hours and we just kept saying to ourselves this wind will not last forever and we've we've got to keep going forward because if we stopped we would be pushed back and we knew that everybody else had stopped rowing and they were going backwards meanwhile we were going forward forward half a mile every hour so even though we rode for nine hours we gained four and a half miles people were blowing back four and a half miles and so that was where we would just we just kept saying it will pass yeah. this wind will not last forever and after nine hours the wind turned and it was hard yeah but I'm sure. then we then realized if we can row for nine hours non-stop yeah you know we could do quite a lot on that boat so anytime anything happened on the boat we'd go fine this situation will not last forever it will pass and it's done nine hours we've it, done nine hours in a headwind yeah it became real strong anchor sure. for belief yeah brilliant and presumably you were the fastest female boat. Yeah, we were. <laughs> by, day, by a whole day and a half as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, Laura, thank you so much. What an invigorating conversation. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, thank you. And thanks for letting me talk about it because it's a real nice reminder for myself because it's easy mm. to forget. Yeah. Yeah. It's important that we connect back to these moments in our life where we've achieved great things. And you have clearly done that on many, many levels. Thank you very much. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. 
If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better and turn it into a positive relationship. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method, or alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm now going to follow my own advice and, like Tamsin, be properly selfish. I'm going to take August off off, and I hope many of you can too. I look forward to talking to more interesting people in September to find out how they are better under pressure. Better Under Pressure was produced by the Fab Team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.